what is going on in the world? Now, I'm not that old, but I have lived through 9-11, the 2008 financial crisis. I've seen some pretty crazy things in my life, but in terms of the impact on the stock market, in terms of the impact on the entire world, in terms of the impact of really almost not being allowed out of my apartment here in New York City, and certainly that being the case in other countries around the world, the coronavirus COVID-19 disease has rattled and shocked people throughout the globe. And I would be remiss if I did not do a podcast episode talking about it. Now, to be fair, this podcast, while it addresses coronavirus, it also is probably more focused on my recovery from compulsive behavior in my past, um, pornography, alcohol, food. And I invited on a good friend of mine, host of Porn Free Radio, Matt Dobschutz, for us to have a conversation. So we talk about what's going on in the world. We certainly address coronavirus. But just a heads up, in this episode, we also talk a lot about how to stay clean, how to stay healthy, how to be our best selves. So it's very much connected to personal development. So if you're looking for a pure, just coronavirus, how to stay healthy episode or information, you're not going to find it here. But what you will find is an interesting discussion where we break down what's going on and we apply our isolation and what's happening in the world. How do we deal with isolation? How do we deal with working from home? How do we make the most of this craziness? And how do we deal with our fear and our anxiety along the way? My personal opinion on what's happening is that while it's terrible and I hate to ever see anyone get sick or lose lives, I do think in a few months these things will calm down significantly. Um, personally, I am making some investments in the market. I think that when you have great businesses that are getting smashed for short-term reasons, I'm not talking about airlines, I'm not talking about hotel companies, but just good businesses that have gotten smashed by the market in general, I'm pretty hopeful. I'm very hopeful long-term that this will pass. Um, but that's about it. Enjoy the episode. It's me and Matt Dobschutz talking coronavirus, fear, anxiety, and being your best self, especially with unstructured time and working from home. What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. It's funny, I've been getting podcasts in my feed and I've been getting emails from email marketers and it looks like some of this stuff was canned like a few months ago and it just has a real tone deaf feeling to, to me. So I, I don't want to be putting any podcasts out for the next few weeks that sound like, well, here's the five tips for blah, blah, blah. And it doesn't have any connection with what's <laughs> going on in our culture. 
right? Yeah, yeah. It's like there's just this huge thing happening in the world. And if you're getting any type of marketing communications that's not tailored to the COVID situation, you're it's like you're like this is you're in some kind of autoresponder funnel probably. <laughs> yeah, right. I well, I mean, I had a guy this week who uh, reached out. He's an author to be on the podcast and. You know, if he would have reached out and said, hey, I'm a trained therapist, I've written a book, I want to talk about how people can get self-care in challenging times or how people can take care of themselves. Um, if he just would have acknowledged something <laughs> about kind of what we're going through, I would have taken a second look. But literally, it was the bullet points for his book. And I was just like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> It's like, I don't really feel like we need a, an author promoting a book right now. Um, if there was something in his expertise that would potentially benefit us, uh, I totally, you know, I, I would have, I would have loved it, but it just, it would, the message wasn't tailored to the, the time right now. Yeah. What, what would you say, like, are you getting any questions from your audience <clears throat> specifically around coronavirus? And if so, what does that look like? And if not, kind of just in general, how have you been bringing this situation into what's going on in the world, tying it into recovery and your voice and mission? Well, I, it's interesting. You know, a couple months ago, I started hearing from uh, listeners and friends in China and, and, you know, they were already starting to do some massive restrictions related to travel in response to uh, what happened in uh, Wuhan and um, and so I kind of got like a, a I kind of got a little sneak preview of of what it might be like and then uh, a few weeks ago I started hearing from guys in Europe and they were being impacted either they were being told to to what do they call it shelter in or <laughs> quarantine well yeah. not quarantine but uh, what have they been calling it shelter shelter in I think you know like the idea of don't leave your house except for essential things. And then they started right. restricting and fining people. Um, so I started hearing that. Uh, and then slowly, you know, I think I talked to you a few weeks ago and heard about you going into a bar in Manhattan with like one person on a bar stool. And, <laughs> yeah. um, and I started seeing it here in Chicago and in San Francisco and other places, people, uh, Seattle, people were, being told to work from home for the rest of the month. So now I feel like it's starting to, you know, sh affect everybody, you know? So um, people have all sorts of reactions. People have the the reactions for recovery. They start thinking, well, how is this going to affect me? How am I going to, I have a routine right now that's been working for me and now it's completely disrupted. Um, and even the idea of working from home, potentially is a challenge. Um, I just saw an interview on CNN yesterday with a couple of, of people talking about Alcoholics Anonymous and how a lot of the meetings have been canceled, uh, the in-person meetings. And it's a real challenge to people because that's kind of what they did in their recovery. That was their routine. And now they're having to scramble to figure out other ways to connect with people. I've seen it with the people I support. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. So just like, like at a high level, it's been really interesting because I'm typically 
very contrarian. I talk a lot about, hey, guys, don't watch the news in general. Go meditate. Go take care of yourself. Do something else. Media is generally sensational and overly exaggerating things. So for a long time, I would say the first several weeks at least, I was not really concerned with this situation. I thought it was an overreaction. Um, but once it really came to the U.S. and once it really started spreading pretty quickly in New York City, um, I started to pay close attention. Um, I actually had a trip to Egypt that was planned. I, I've always wanted to go see the pyramids in Egypt, and I finally booked that trip for this April, early April. And even when things started to spread with coronavirus, I said, oh, you know, maybe things are okay. And then there was actually a boat that went up and down the Nile River filled with tourists and <clears throat> some large percentage of that boat, um, people had tested positive for coronavirus. And then the icing on the cake that made me cancel my trip was there was an American guy who got who went to Egypt, tested positive, and then they wouldn't let him leave the country and come back to the U.S. And I just said, I can't take that risk of being stuck in a Middle Eastern country. So... I canceled it. And so it's just very fascinating because I don't know about you, Matt, but in my lifetime, I've never seen multiple sports leagues canceled and postponed ESPN showing highlights from 10 years ago because there's no sports happening. I've never seen that in my life. And so it's just been really eerie to like walk the streets of New York City when all the top restaurants are putting out press releases saying, hey, you know, we're the place that you couldn't get a reservation at your whole life. Come in and uh, do a pickup or a takeout order. You can come try our food. And across the street from me, the sushi restaurants all have signs on their window front saying, we're closed until further notice. So on, on just that societal point of it, I've never seen anything like this. And then as far as like personal development goes and certainly recovery from compulsive behavior goes, like you mentioned, unstructured time is now up. Social isolation is now up. And I love how you always say the opposite of addiction is connection. And I've made a huge push in the past year or two to really get connected with other people. And so thankfully, I think one of the best companies that's actually not going down in the stock market right now is Zoom. I mean, I haven't looked at their stocks, so maybe they actually are going down. But it's just funny people are hopping on zoom calls all over the place and it's been really cool. I've joined some, like my men's group met on zoom for the first time ever this week. And then I've been going to these meditations held online now. So it is really nice to see that people are making an effort to stay connected in ways that prevent the spread of this virus. Um, but there's certainly a lot to dig into here and there's a lot going on. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's like multifaceted. You not only have potentially your fear, your anxiety, you have the fear and anxiety of people you live with or friends or family members. So you're just managing kind of a generalized anxiety. And then you have your own challenges, uh, you know, threats and opportunities with, you know, what does it mean to be online at home for eight 10 hours a day working when your main way of dealing with, in, in my case, working with guys who are motivated to quit looking at porn, you know, maybe one of the strategies they used was 
working in a co-working space or working at a Starbucks or working at work um, as a way to get more accountability. And now they're having to self-manage all their time. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a, it is a real challenge. Um, and I was thinking about the groups too. Uh, you know, I went to an in-person group on Saturday and the church that we met in was closed. They closed the church for outside groups for any, any meetings. So one of the fellows uh, hosted the group at their house and there was a tentative plan to maybe do this this week. But things changed so quickly in our area that I had to set up a Zoom meeting for us for Saturday. And uh, some of the people in my group are older and they were a little resistant to the idea, but it's like, guys, it's time to, <laughs> it's time to learn. Time to learn how to use new tools because we don't have the luxury of getting together. Yeah, it, it, it's funny you say that because in my men's group, there were people who it, it sort of turned into a, a dialogue with a lot of differing opinions around, you know, this is ridiculous. We're still buying into the media frenzy. Uh, we need to meet in person. And so there was definitely a bunch of back and forth there. But ultimately, we made the decision to go online and it worked out fine. But what, what I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that are like when I learned how to drive, I grew up on Long Island, about an hour outside the city. And my father took me into Manhattan and he said, hey, Brendan, I want you to learn how to drive in the city because if you can drive here, you can drive anywhere. And so obviously that was very frightening. with all. Now, the did you learn? I got a question. Did you learn to drive a Bentley? Was that was that the <laughs> car that you learned to drive on? That's funny. So. I had to learn how to drive on a Bentley and a 1980-something Corvette because my father had this Corvette when he was in law school in the 80s and then bought a uh, same version of that when I was in high school. And so he drove this totally impractical car around where if you just shift it from park into drive, if you don't have your foot slammed on the brakes – it'll just launch forward and you'll just have a whole hole in your garage. So I had this totally impractical Corvette. And then on the other hand was my stepfather, who was a pretty successful lawyer on Long Island, who um, had some issues with materialism. And he, so he owned a Bentley Arnage, a Rolls Royce, and he had a limousine. And so our sort of quote unquote practical car when I was with my mom and stepfather was this Bentley, which was massive. And so I'm 16 years old. Uh, I have a learner's permit so I can drive if my family's in the car. And for whatever reason, my family really trusted me as a driver and they would just throw me the keys. And we had this really windy uh, driveway in my home. And so I'd have to pull it in and then pull it into an indoor garage, which had, it was two spaces, but with a, like a piece of wood in the middle. So turning that thing you had to get the physics exactly right otherwise i'm going to be scraping up a probably two hundred thousand dollar piece of machinery so yes to answer your question i did learn how to drive in part on a bentley i had a similar experience i grew up in the city and um, we had a 1979 uh, green dodge van and so um if you can if you can parallel park uh, a 1979 Do green dodge van um, in bumper to bumper kind of 
<laughs> kind of um, city streets, um, you 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 know you can basically you get a pass for every other driving challenge that you have. <laughs> wow, that's funny. So yeah, I, I, the the reason I bring up driving is because it's kind of like an analogy for me. So if you can drive in New York City, you can drive anywhere. And I'm curious if you would agree with the statement. I'm just throwing this out there. I don't know if I totally believe this, but it's if you can stay clean, stay sober, not act out, whatever that means for you um, at home 24-7, especially if you're single and isolated, um, maybe this is actually a great opportunity to figure out, you know, with all the triggers present, with all the downtime, can I put a plan in place now so that when things go back to normal, um, you know, I'll be able to manage that easier because I won't have as many temptations and as as and as much unstructured time. What do you think about that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was kind of thinking about putting together a podcast and the question I wanted to ask was, what does this make possible? Sure, we can think about everything we've lost, the restriction and the ability to travel, the ability to go out, to meet in person, to, you know, we can think of countless things that we're not able to do, but the one resource that people have been given is a ton of time. I mean, think about what are some of the excuses of recovery uh, when life is, you know, going at 100 miles an hour? I don't have time to do a morning routine. I don't have time to, to go to all these meetings or I don't have time to do this work. And now all of a sudden, we're not commuting. We're not going to Little League games. We're not watching ESPN. We, we have an, an abundance of time. And so what do we have? We have these challenges around how do we connect? What tools do we use? How do we organize it? Um, but yeah, it's an incredible opportunity to grow. Um, I, I have an analogy too. I like your car analogy. I have an analogy. You want to hear mine? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah. So, um, when I was struggling with compulsive behaviors with porn and, and, and acting out the worst thing for me, the, the thing that would give me fear, the, the, the situation where I was just felt overwhelmed was traveling, like being in a hotel room. Right. And I, it would almost be, and I, this is true. When I was working in corporate America, I, there were times that I turned trips down because I didn't feel safe enough to go. Like I remember sending someone who worked for me on a trip that I would have liked to have gone to because at that time I just felt a little shaky. And so that's kind of the way I looked at it, like being in the hotel room, being in a, 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 tr a trip was just too much temptation, too much, too much of a challenge for me. And it would be the same way. Like, like I'm sure there's guys out there who would think, well, I can't work at home online for you know, full time for months. Like, that's just crazy based on my track record. Mm -hmm. But what I started doing when I had to go on a trip, what I, I would just plan. I would start to create a really specific plan, what I was going to commit to, how I was going to spend my time. I had a lot of checkpoints with other people, a lot of connection. And what I realized was I would start really having fun going on trips. Um, 
at the time I had small kids and I remember thinking, it's just a gift to sit in an airport with my headphones on and just wait for a flight to, to board because I'm not chasing kids around, because I'm not stressed out um, kind of managing my family. Um, <laughs> I remember just being relaxed. Like I remember one time they, they delayed a flight and everyone around me was upset. I was like, oh, another hour of quiet and peace. Like, like, <laughs> this, is, this is great. Right. So then I remember going to um, the hotel um, and I had a plan. I remember doing yoga in the morning. I had a yoga program that I followed and um, I brought a mat with me. Actually, I didn't have a mat. I used the towel, the hotel towel on the floor and I did my yoga and I felt really good. I remember running uh, while I was in, in uh, when I would go to the, the West Coast. Um, you get this buzz because you wake up super early. I'm not a morning person, but you know, I'd wake up at 6 a.m. and it was 8 a.m. my time. So I was like wide awake and I would run and just be really productive in the morning. Um, I wrote an article once for a recovery, uh, some recovery literature over the course of four days in Boulder, Colorado. And I just remember every morning getting up, going to this coffee shop with my computer and just you know, thinking about recovery and writing this article. And so what ended up happening was traveling became completely reframed for me with a plan, with connection, with some, some really specific things that I was committing to. Um, it became an incredible thing. Like I would come back from these trips refreshed. Like it was a work trip, but I'd come back feeling great. Like I had done four days of self-care. It's really funny you say that because I just recently went on a trip for a speaking engagement out West and I had such an incredible experience on that trip because I really, I, I like I told you this offline last time we spoke, I put a plan into place and I'm, I'm just curious if we can kind of theory theorize here. Can we extrapolate anything from our travel plans that might help listeners in their kind of coronavirus uh, sheltering situation. But when I went on this trip, I made some agreements with one of my coaches where I basically turned my, I know you talk a lot on your show, Porn Free Radio, about making, uh, like thinking about going to a flip phone instead of a smartphone, because these things can be so dangerous and toxic. And so I took all my trigger apps off my phone um, for the whole trip. I had no Instagram. I mean, in general now, I don't have Instagram, Facebook, or Messenger on my phone at all, but I use WhatsApp a lot, especially for my business. Um, so during the week, it's okay, but it can be triggering just to kind of like browse and if I'm gonna you know talk to some women or anything like that, I just wanted it off my phone. And one of the most important things I did though was because you you talk about this all the time about calling other men. You know, I see a lot of statistics out there about how levels of friendship are continuing to go down, which may or may not be related. I think it is with how levels of compulsive behavior are going up in our country. And I, I don't know if we've talked about this, but there's a statistic that I really like, which is something like the average American now only has two close friends and something like 20 or 25 percent of people in America have zero close friends. So one in four people, no close friends. And I really believe that as I've made more of an effort to build those close friendships, 
it's really helped me get my life on track, get me out of compulsive behavior. And I had, what I did was I didn't just show up on my trip and then start calling people and hoping someone would pick up. I asked a friend of mine in advance, Hey, can I call you tomorrow at 6 PM central time? Cause all my friends are on the East coast. Mostly I'm going to be traveling. I'm going to be alone. It would be really nice to just check in with someone. And my friend just said, absolutely no problem. And so I set an alarm on my phone for that time because <clears throat> with the travel, I actually fell asleep for, I was taking a nap and I woke up from that nap and I was so tired and groggy and disconnected from my body. And to have that call with my friend got me so recentered and so much back into my plan and into a good trip. Because what happened was all those things in place took me into the executive lounge of the hotel I was staying at. I started talking to this guy. He's a pilot. He also happens to be from a family of a billionaire magnate is his father in Europe. Uh, we start going around. We're having drinks. We're having dinner. I'm talking to all these people. He introduces me to someone for business. Which I just spoke to that guy this morning, by the way. And it, it, and I went to the gym, like you said. So I, I'm I just want to share that if that's helpful for anyone on the travel front, but also kind of pause it out loud. Could something like this be useful to people now? Because it seems like most of the Western world is working from home and kind of in a similar boat as to how we are when we travel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the idea of planning your time and um, being specific about what you're going to do and, you know, what you did when you set up that call, what you actually did is you pre-committed to having a call. You didn't wait till you felt ready or, you know, the, the stars aligned for you to reach out to someone. You just pre-committed. So you woke up from that nap groggy and tired and you just followed through. That's the idea of when you pre-commit to something, you, you realize it's important uh, before you get into the, the fatiguing or stressful situation. So, I mean, that kind of stuff would work well working at home. I mean, I've done it too. I, I was on a trip to Philadelphia last year and I committed to, to bookend my time in the Airbnb. So basically what a bookend is, is I had a friend um, who I had pre-committed and said, when I get into the hotel room, or the Airbnb in this case, um, I'm going to text you and let you know that I'm turning all devices off, and including my computer, my phone, and I'm not going to use the devices until I leave the room the next morning, and I'll text you the, the bookend. Meaning, you know, I text one time at the beginning of the night when I say all the devices are off, and one time when I give the all clear when I'm out of the hotel room. And so, you know, what was interesting is I pre-committed to that. And then, you know, the first night I remember thinking, okay, here I am in the Airbnb. I sent the text. Okay, I'm turning everything off. Off. I turned everything off and I felt an amazing sense of peace. Like now I can just go to sleep. I don't have to obsess about email. I don't have to obsess about my whatever, potentially getting online. If I had insomnia, which I do sometimes, I had a book to read. I, I had already pre-committed that I wasn't going to be on any devices and I was going to shut everything down. So I just followed through with the plan. And interestingly enough, on that trip, there was a little bit of a, 
a trigger situation. Just uh, I met someone who was also in my field and, um, you know, just a woman. And, you know, I was drawn to her a little bit. And um, I checked it in with my friend. I just said, oh, you know, I met this person tonight at a party. And it was just a little, you know, it was a, I was feeling a little bit of a pull. And he gave me some thoughts about, you know, how I should kind of navigate. And uh, I just felt clean, like I had kind of checked in and nothing got stuck in my head. Nothing turned into obsessive thinking. And I was just, you know, clean the whole trip. That's incredible. I, I think one of the best things about the whole experience is just feeling proud of myself, feeling like I accomplished something on this trip and just kind of like, you know, it's the shame cycle. And instead of like, you know, you feel shame or some kind of painful motion, engage in some type of behavior you don't really want to. And then you feel more shame after, which just pushes you back. It's like you've broken the cycle and you're so much less likely to go back to that behavior or even that temptation because you're building those good feelings about yourself. And that was just huge for me. I want to ask you a question um, because I I'm curious where you come out on this as someone who has a lot of experience in this space, specifically coaching others and working with people through this stuff. So one of my coaches, actually, we put consequences on my behaviors. And so for that trip, we put some really funny, but also painful consequences. Like if I didn't adhere to my agreements and then also now just for like life in general, I have a list of weekly agreements and we we're constantly refining them and changing them to keep them fresh. But like, for example, right now, some of my daily agreements are like my phone has to be powered off by 8 PM unless I'm out already, like with friends um, every weekend, my phone stays off until 11 AM. Um, you know, I've, I've different things like that every night where I'm in by 8 PM. If I'm not, yeah, if I'm not out with friends and like on a weekend night, I have to, because sometimes I work too much. It's That's like part of my old compulsive behavior was like being a workaholic. So like I make agreements that I have to watch a movie or I have to order in food and relax. And so really good agreements for me. And so we've placed different consequences on these things. So for example, on that trip, there was a person who, um, you know, really didn't, agree with some of the things I was doing with my business and really had strong opinions about me going in a different direction with my business, which really that person had no, like, who, who are they to say, like, if I should do small group coaching or one-on-one -on -one or speaking engagements and they were getting very emotional and angry. And it was, it was a big projection of stuff they were suffering from. And, uh, so I stepped away from that friendship. So one of the consequences of not holding my agreements was I would have to take that person out and like buy them a nice meal and tell them how right they were about everything. Kind of like in Seinfeld when Jerry has to take out this guy, uh, Banya, who he hates and like tell, you know, pretend to be friends with him and then also give this person $500 in cash. And so like, we've had fun with this stuff, but I'm, I'm curious. And, and it really has helped me because just the thought of giving like my arch nemesis $500 in cash when that could be my Roadmaster Pro for my new podcast studio. It's like makes me cringe. So uh, I'm curious your thoughts on attaching consequences to things. And then I also have kind of some ideas of my own too I can add on. Well, I think consequences are fun. Um, and I actually use them a lot in my early recovery because I was a tech guy. I ran uh, websites for the brand that I worked for. I 
had servers and, you know, I started the Twitter account for our company. There was a whole bunch of things that I was in charge of that, you know, like you, you know, it's like you're, you were an Instagram influencer and I'm sure Instagram is a challenging place for you to, to, to be on when yep. you're not dealing with addiction stuff, when you're kind of struggling. So consequences to me were, uh, a, a tool, uh, I don't know why I said it like that, a tool, uh, a tool to, um, to potentially, um, that were agnostic of technology, unlike a filter or some sort of boundary. Um, I was really excited by the idea that um, a consequence was something I committed to, whether people knew about what I did or not. Um, it was a way to hold myself to a commitment. One thing I, I think that you kind of picked up on that I'm a big fan of is making the consequence maybe a little stinging, a little painful, but there's a fun element to it, um, not taking it too seriously. Sometimes guys will tell me they've set up a consequence for themselves and it seems really punitive, really harsh, like unmanageable. Like, it, you know, I remember one guy I worked with who we talked about his self-care and the thing that he loved to do the most was play basketball three days a week with some of the guys um, that he works with. And his consequence was no basketball for a month. And I remember thinking that's the main way you're getting self-care and connection. That's the consequence. Take that away. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm like you. I, I think if you can find something sort of fun, something that sort of motivates you to go in a different direction because you don't want to follow through on that consequence, I think that's when it works best. If it's just punitive, um, you know, I remember one guy... Uh, you know, uh, d committed to giving money to a political candidate every time he acted out. But he kept acting out and he goes, Matt, I don't know what to do. I owe $800 to this guy and I don't want to, I don't want to write that check. And I was like, you know what? Um, <laughs> I, I don't think this is working for you. This tool isn't working for you. If you, if you acted out eight times with this consequence in place, it's not working. Yeah. Yeah. That you got to look at sort of the track record of if it's an effective resource for you. I also think I would just add a couple things on top of that, which is I really, first of all, I really like what you said about kind of having fun with it. So like just that envisioning of taking that person out, it was like a fun kind of cringeworthy, like really fired up some emotions inside me to motivate me. But I, I would also add, if you are going to set consequences, I think you want to make them like much more specific to manageable trigger point type behavior. So for example, let's say you're trying to um, stop drinking alcohol and like, that's the issue you're dealing with. I wouldn't say like, you know, if I drink at all, if I, you know, break my sobriety in the next month or whatever, then I have to give this money. I would say if I go to a bar or if I hang out with these people that I'm distancing myself from, because I think if you can like track the behavior that kind of leads to the acting out, I think that might be a more beneficial thing to hold yourself accountable to. Because like another example would just be if you are dealing with porn addiction, just saying, all right, I, you know, I have to be totally clean and not act out for the next three months. If you've been acting out every other day for the past year, like 
you know, you don't want to attach like a thousand dollar payment that you might not even have that money to a goal that's not reasonable. So it's like when you set smart goals and you want to have something that's attainable or reasonable, you know, I, I would definitely suggest that. And then the other thing is you don't want it to be something that you can't afford. Like you want it to be kind of painful, like where it really makes you think about what you did and it's a real consequence. So you don't want to just say like $1, but you also, if you're, if you have $10,000 in savings, you don't want to say, you know, I have to donate 5,000 or $10,000 because that can just be so devastating. And then you might feel even more shame um, after the fact. So obviously those are just some other thoughts there. I um one thing I really liked you said there was the idea of attaching potentially a consequence or a small consequence to a behavior. I I love that idea. Um, like here's an example. Um, a, a lot of times guys will struggle with say in my case when I'm working with guys who are struggling with uh, letting go of porn, what will be a real source of temptation and, and a threat to them will be unprotected devices. Meaning like you went on your trip and you removed the apps from your phone that were potentially triggering. So you made it a safe or protected device. Um, but if you picked up a buddy's iPad and it just had whatever, there might be a, a platform or a, an app that's a real trigger for you. And so a lot of times guys will get stuck they're like, they've kind of, you know, clamped down on the devices in their life, but then there's things laying on the coffee table, their wife's stuff or their, their kid's stuff or whatever. And then that's a temptation. So I love the idea of saying, hey, my consequence is about using other people's devices or using unprotected devices. If I use an unprotected device for any reason, I'm going to do this consequence. I like that. I think that's a good idea. And you could, you could potentially distill a few other behaviors that maybe lead up um, to a relapse and, and start to look for fun consequences for those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's, let's get back into the Corona situation a little bit and just kind of, I, I know you mentioned that you've been talking a little bit about managing fear and anxiety. And I know that if you ever put the news on and you think about the number of cases, or if you start looking at the percentage death rates, like this thing can get scary and you can kind of get into a little bit of a dark place in your head of, you know, if you think about how many people in Italy have passed away already and what's going on here. Now, obviously there's a lot of encouraging stuff too. For example, the data on China's ability to pretty much contain the situation now. And that's very bodes well for us, assuming that we, kind of shelter and quarantine as much as we are. But just kind of as an example, I'm curious, like on the one hand, just sort of practically speaking, like your take on the situation generally, but then also how could we, you know, manage our fear and anxiety here and also extrapolate lessons to manage fear and anxiety in life in general? It's so funny. I, um, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's so funny. I wanted to ask you the exact same questions you asked me before I could ask you. <laughs> <laughs> Beat you to the punch, man. <laughs> um, I just did a podcast last week on a tool um, that I thought was really interesting. It's it's called the Welcoming Prayer, and it's essentially a meditation in which you welcome the bad feeling. And 
one thing that I think is is really helpful um, in that practice is this idea of one of the ways that we get stuck in any sort of um, destructive behavior or courage avoiding behavior or just even distraction, procrastination, those types of things, things that hold us back, it's usually we're avoiding something. We're running, we're escaping, we're numbing. And so the welcoming prayer is a really simple way of just saying, what am I feeling right now? What's the powerful feeling? What's the emotion that I'm experiencing? And and welcoming it, saying, you know, welcome fear, welcome anxiety, um, welcome isolation or loneliness. And then going in this prayer, basically, there's you just let go of your desire to control the situation. You let go of your desire um, to, for security and and eventually, you know, in, in this in this prayer, you give it to God. You, you basically say, I give you this the, the, the desire to change this feeling. And it's a way to sort of acknowledge what I'm feeling. And I like that idea of really starting to acknowledge what we're feeling. And I think one thing that guys are particularly bad, I work with men typically, they, they're really bad at knowing what they're actually feeling. I've actually asked guys this week, what are you feeling this week? And they're like, coronavirus isn't affecting me. And I'm like, yeah, you might not personally connect with fear, but it's really hard to be a part of the world right now and not be affected by the chaos, by the, the concern, by when will this end, the uncertainty. I mean, all those things are going on. And so the, the probably the more accurate action is, or the, probably the more accurate statement is, you're not sure how it's affecting you. Or mm-hmm. you're not, you don't have clarity about what you're feeling versus I don't feel anything. <laughs> you know, it's so funny you say that, Matt, and so relevant because in my business of events and coaching people, I'm constantly trying to get people into their bodies and out of their heads. You know, one of the things that I heard from Tony Robbins, he, he once said, stay in your head, you're dead. And when my clients show up to our sessions, it's so common for people to just have this fear and this anxiety or whatever they're dealing with. And I say, all right, well, let's start by getting into your body. So what are you, what are you feeling right now? And especially men, I find men to be very disconnected from their emotions. They'll just, they'll, they'll use the word like, so they'll say, instead of saying, I feel angry or I feel afraid or I feel even fine. They'll say, I feel like, and then start stating facts. So Matt, what are you what are you feeling right now? Well, I feel like Corona is a crazy situation, or I feel like my wife said this thing to me, and you know, so it's it's just easy to use the word like and then not have to say a feeling. And the other thing that's really fascinating that I notice is, you know, our brain is generally above our eyes, so I notice that people will I'll ask them this question and they'll actually look up like towards their brain, which is where I'm trying to get them away from. So I've even asked people in my events and seminars, look down at your heart or your chest or your stomach and answer from that place. And they're actually more likely to share an emotion. And it sounds like you understand the tremendous value here of getting in touch with these feelings because 
it's the bottling up of all that stuff that leads to the behaviors that we want to stop engaging in. So it's, it's, I just wanted to share that that word like comes up so often. And uh, afterwards, I also want to just share a, a, a method that's been really helpful for me, uh, which has just been called releasing. And what I've been doing is kind of getting in touch with what I call the now feeling. So I could say to myself, you know, what's my now feeling right now? Is it anger, sadness, fear, guilt, pride, shame, whatever? And then once I get in touch with that, I can take a deep breath and then just say, am I willing to release this? And then just kind of have a big exhale and like envision that emotion being pushed out of my body. And I've been doing this for like five to 10 minutes as like a releasing meditation two to three times a day. And it's been unbelievable it's been so helpful i mean we're totally on the same track track uh you know i did this last week this podcast and when i was researching this idea of welcoming prayer which is very similar to what you're talking about releasing you know it's a it's a structured process for releasing uh the 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 bad feeling or emotion one of the quotes i read and i was trying to look through my notes to find it was uh, the mind deceives, but the body doesn't lie. And so a lot of times what happens is we tell ourselves a story like, you know, we're, we're like that guy who's using the word like to sort of distance himself from whatever he's feeling or he's telling himself a story that he doesn't he's not even worried or it doesn't it doesn't affect him. Um, but if you look at his body, if you look at maybe behaviors, if you look at compulsions, if you look at things he's doing that are automatic. Um, it'll start to sh tell the real story that he is managing stress, even if it's the people around him or the uncertainty. And uh, so I, I love that idea. And I, I did a quote last week. I said, uh, I talked about this, uh, this monk named Thomas Keating, you know, who said that, you know, one of the, the practices we want to do is dismantle the emotional programming of the false self. And the idea is we want to get past sort of these stories we tell ourselves and sort of this image that we project and get more clear about what actually we're experiencing. What's the emotion that's upsetting us? Um, what, what is actually capturing our attention? And then how do we get to the point where we release it, like you're saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's just been so beneficial to me. Obviously, it's not all fun and games to get connected to built up anger or fear, but to take it to a, an even deeper level, I believe that we it's kind of cumulative in respect where if you don't process a certain type of emotion, it can just stack inside of us and just get worse and worse and worse. And so this is why if you are processing emotions or starting a journey or a recovery for the first time, it's really important to just kind of hang in there because it can get a little bit worse before it gets better because you have on the one side numbness and then on the other side, a lot of pain that you're tapping into for the first time potentially. And so if you are new to this process, just realize that you can take your time. You don't have to do it all at once. But on the other hand, once you get to a better place, if something comes up for me now, like when I first started this type of work and my recovery and my journey, when I was asked by my therapists or coaches to get in touch with my feelings, I did not want to go there because there was so much there that I 
you know, that even getting in touch with anything would launch a whole chain reaction of a lot of pain. Now that I've cleared a lot of that out, what I can do now is if something triggering happens to me, which by the way, happens all the time, like I can constantly put myself out there and have a difficult business client, business situation, interaction with a human being, especially in New York City with some of the characters we have here, um, dating, friends, anything. So family, obviously, is a big one. And But now I feel pretty grateful that if something comes up, I can just kind of process that. And there isn't a whole well of darkness typically underneath that. So it, I just hopefully that encourages people to start this process or just you know, kind of hang in there if it's tough, because I believe the the painful emotions stack in your body. And as you release it more and more, you kind of empty it out. And so then if one thing happens, you can get in there and release it or journal. And I'm sure, Matt, you have a lot of different strategies that you share on how to do this. Even the the men's groups, the rev groups that you've started to, to give people a forum to talk about these things is a great way to do this. So that's been, that's awesome that you've done that. And it doesn't have to be as, as hard as it may have used to be in the beginning. So I've noticed that. And uh, yeah, I just want to share that. It's been one of my experiences with all of this. Yeah. Well, you started the conversation by you know, talking about that quote, the opposite of addiction is connection. And I think one thing that people in recovery, but even right now, everyone is dealing with cumulative fear, cumulative um, uncertainty. So everyone who's listening to this podcast, whether you have an addiction or, or not, or whether you're in recovery or not, you're dealing with this right now and you need ways to release the feelings you're, you're feeling. But here's the thing. The reason why connection is so important in recovery is because that's actually what the connection is for. It's to help release and process these feelings. Uh, I think sometimes guys think the, the, uh, the reason for connection is telling on yourself, right? It's like I'm calling my sponsor because I'm giving him a report of how I did, good or bad. Like it's a pass-fail exam. But the reason to actually call your sponsor is to talk about the emotions that are coming up. Mm-hmm. The emotions that make you use or, or feel like you have to use to, to deal with. Um, the reason to talk to your sponsor is to help unload and release those emotions. If, if, if all you're doing is calling your sponsor to report, it's like your parole officer, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right? And that's not, a, that's not how you should look at your, your sponsor. That's not how you should look at your wife. A lot of times guys will be like, Matt, I, you know, what do I have to tell my wife about acting out? And, and, and I want to, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out how to work with their wife. And it's like, they're treating their wife like a parole officer. Yeah. And, and I said, and what I try to say is, you know, the more that you can show up and talk about what you're feeling, the more excited she's going to get. Cause in my work with men, um, I see a lot of women being able to be more specific about what they're feeling and have some more clarity and be able to express it with more emotion. And so it's like a lot of times wives and partners are, are super excited when they actually see real connection and emotion. Um, so I, I try to tell people that the purpose of us, you know, even when I coach guys, sometimes I think people feel like they have to give me a report and I could care less about, you know, 
did they get the checkbox every week? That's not my biggest concern. My biggest concern is what is what are the powerful feelings that are capturing your attention? And how are you releasing them? If you're releasing them well, I know that you're going to have the checkboxes checked off because usually the results of days porn free or the days healthy follow the fact that you're handling, you're releasing your emotions in a, in a, in a skillful way. Everyone is so obsessed with I'm this many days clean or I did act out or I didn't act out. It's actually, it's, it's the underlying stuff. That's important. It's the, like you said, it's the, did you use Instagram? Did you have their filters on? Did you get in touch with your emotions? That's what I care about a lot more. Obviously I care about the behaviors too, but it's just kind of, that's like the output of, that's the end result of the behaviors and what you're doing. And so, so I couldn't agree more. The other thing I was just going to say is i made a list on my phone like a month or two ago. And it just says people I call when overwhelmed emotionally. And I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven really good friends of mine. Awesome. All men that, and I could, you know, potentially come up with more, but these are like, great guys I can just call up and just like vent and like kind of clear out some emotional pain with, and they'll hold space for me. And I did, you know, the first guy on this list that I'm looking at, he's a guy, he's the same guy who I called. I set up that pre-commitment on my trip. Like you called it the pre-commitment, Matt. And same guy, I was having a really difficult situation with a woman who I used to date and I'm now friends with, which I don't recommend generally. Um, so I called him up and he gave me incredible advice and he allowed me to kind of process what I was feeling. So just wanted to share that as like another strategy that helps me get through to my emotions is I feel like you talk about this a lot on your show, Matt, on Porn Free Radio. Like we don't have to do this alone. Like and, and how it all, all the compulsion, everything survives in the isolation and the hiding. And when you invite other people in to support you, which I've learned, by the way, is actually giving a gift because people there's so many people who want to give and want to be there for others. And we actually rob people of their mission and their purpose and their fulfillment in life by shutting them out and not letting them support us. Not everyone, but there are quite a few people out there like that. So I wanted to share that. Um, feel free to layer on top of that. And I also just wanted to throw in a fun question, too, for when you're ready, which is what are you and or your family doing for fun during this coronavirus situation? Like what what's on Netflix? What, what juicy series are you sinking your teeth into? What books, magazines? Like what are you up to to have fun through all this? Well, I think that's one of the things that we're trying to figure out. Um, <laughs> one of the funny things is, is I have this new podcast studio office that's in our old attached garage. And, uh, you know, we have one of these old houses um, where it had this bricked in garage that really we didn't use to park a car. It was too narrow. And uh, we finally, we actually put, you know, insulation and heat and, and, track lighting and all this stuff. And so it's this great space. The only problem is right outside of the insulated garage door that we put on uh, is a basketball hoop. And the kids are continually asking me, are you recording right now? Do you have any coaching calls? 
because they're trying to figure out when they can hoop. And uh, so right now I have a kid who is, I think we told him 12.15 my time uh, that he can go out and hoop. So that's one thing. The The podcast uh, schedule and the basketball is is one challenge that we're we're dealing with. But we've been playing basketball. We've been going for walks. We, um, we're getting our bikes tuned up because we figure we can go on some bike rides as a family. And um, in terms of... Uh, Let's see. Um, one of the games that we've been playing on Xbox is a PGA golf game, which is kind of funny, but it's it's one of those games that you can play together and, you know, kind of you outdistance people. It's kind of like, remember Golden Tee? Remember playing at the bar? It's kind of like that. Um, so we've been kind of doing a little golf tournament with that. I cannot play the Madden or basketball games because my kids are too good. They just will kill me. Um, yeah. I, I played my, one of my sons, and he played, like, the Chiefs, and, like, he scored, like, every possession. So it's like I cannot play them with those okay. games. Or the games where they shoot people, you know, like uh, Fortnite, I cannot play those. So, um, uh, And then one uh, TV show that I've been enjoying that I can't – I mean, there might be some triggering content for some guys, but – um, overall, it's a pretty okay show. Is uh, well, two 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 shows in particular. Um, I've uh, been watching a show called The Good Doctor, and it's about a doctor, a surgeon with autism, and it's based on a Korean drama uh, that that came to the United States and is on a on a it's on ABC here, which is a, a national network. So, I personally just find it interesting seeing the um, the doctor, the main character, um, navigate life and grow as a person um, dealing with autism, but but also doing some amazing things. So uh, that's that's a show that I really enjoy. I cannot tell you why I totally enjoy it. I think there's a, a hero's journey kind of kind of scenario to it. That's pretty cool. And then um, I like that. And then the other show I've been really into this year is American Idol which feels super <laughs> not cool. Um, but, I mean, I've seen a couple. They've they've really hammered in on some of these stories of overcoming. And the judges are actually very paternal in a, in a healthy way. Like, they really, like, you'd think it's funny, but Katy Perry, Lionel Richie, um, Luke Perry, Luke, not Luke Perry, Luke uh, Bryan, they're very, they have a real love for some of these contestants and a real heart. And um, I just find myself crying at different points. It's so stupid and sappy. <laughs> but, but I mean, they've had, um, they had a girl this year who uh, came, um, uh, was able to recover from a pharmaceutical addiction. And she almost lost her family. She almost lost everything. And the story was heartbreaking. Um, there was another woman who got out of an abusive relationship. You know, there's just a number of, there's people who have lost people or, you know, family members and stuff. So they just, um, I don't know. And then when they sing, when they sing these songs and really connect emotionally, it's just amazing. So I, I don't know, like I'm, I know American Idol is not cool anymore, but they, they've really, um, 
told some really interesting stories and really tied it to the power of music. And so I'm, I'm, I'm totally all in on it. It's funny. I was at my poker game the other night and someone made a joke about American Idol and I'm like, I'm still watching. (laughs) (laughs) Be careful, Matt. We don't want the New York post to pick this up. And then you're on the cover of the post podcaster, Matt Dobshoots cries during American Idol admitted on the Brendan Burns show. Yes. No, you're right. I, I did. I cried last week. Um, if anyone saw it, it was this, it was the last audition in Milwaukee. And, uh, the girl just talked about being in an abusive relationship where the guy basically said she was garbage and she was this pretty, just really fun loving person. Just, a, you know, just a beautiful kind of soul, like and wonderful singer. And she was just with this guy for like seven years and it was just killing her. And um, the thing that made me cry was her mom was just never stopped loving her and never stopped caring about her, even when she was cutting her mom out of her life because she was in this abusive relationship and he was trying to control who she talked to. And um, and so it's when the mom came in that just made me, I, I don't know, really connect. So true confessions, Brendan, you got it out of me. Now, if you made me cry in our in our interview that would be that would be new york post uh worthy that's funny that you say that matt because it, when i do some of the more like intensive interviews for my show like we're doing a crossover now and we're just kind of bouncing off each other but i've done some interviews on my podcast where i've gone really deep with people and i've had at least two or three guests break down and cry and then the wildest thing was, if, if you guys haven't heard this one, it's an episode I did with a meditation teacher named Ralph De La Rosa. And uh, it's like in the episode 30s or something, 30s or 40s maybe. And we were we recorded this in the Anchor podcast studio in New York City, which is where I host my show on Anchor. And before, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Spotify actually bought Anchor. And uh, when they did, they shut down that lab. It was so great. It was right by my apartment beautiful free access to it uh, you know not for everyone on anchor but they would invite people in and once you had that calendar link you could just book it up as hey anchor people if you're listening right now reopen the anchor lab please <laughs> um, but I had this guy come on my show uh, Ralph de la Rosa and he did a meditation process where I had to think about something with my family and envision it and I broke down on my own show. So um, be careful, Matt, because tears have been shed on the Brendan Burns show. I don't think that's where we're headed today, but it's it's happened before and it will happen again. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think there's been one time that I got to a place of of connecting with some level of sadness or something I was something I was connecting with at a deep level. So I had a couple of tears while recording. Um, I definitely got angry. Uh, I've gotten angry a couple times. I've hit the mic, hit the uh, um, hit the desk. So I've had some feelings. Definitely, I'm sure. I'm sure if if uh, I bet you if I had that guy on, I, I bet you I could get to a different place. So I think I'm gonna skip. I'm gonna skip that interview. <laughs> it's funny because it's actually. Uh, I think until recently, uh, it was like my second or first most downloaded episode. I think it was number two behind 
the no more Mr. Nice Guy author that I had on the show. But it, it's funny. It was a popular one. What's the what's the no more Mr. Nice Guy? Uh, what's his name again? Uh, Robert Glover. Oh, yeah. Robert Glover. Yeah. You should definitely check out that podcast. Um, you, you had a really you had a big life change just as a result of connecting with Robert Glover, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, it's funny. I feel like I had read and skimmed his book over the years. I knew about it. I actually had it uh, lying around. But last year, I kind of came across it again while I was having some issues with uh, my last relationship that I was in. And I found this book, and it was just so spot on in terms of choose, really shame, how we choose our partners. Um, how we isolate. It was very much in line with the work I had been doing on myself already. And it helped me get in touch with my masculinity. It helped me develop connection with other men, helped me take care of myself better. And probably the most eye-opening thing was it helped me learn that there's this phenomenon which occurs more frequently than I realized, which often goes hand in hand with porn compulsion or any type of sexual dysfunctional behavior, which is people who have any kind of behaviors like that often will choose partners who are more unavailable, have more issues of their own, and as a result can then blame, we can blame our pro all the problems of the relationship on our partner because they might be more addicted or they might be unemployed or they might be a single parent or they might have some kind of issue going on in their life. And as a result, it's a way to kind of, you know, you always want to hide when you have this shame or this compulsion. So it's a way to kind of be in a relationship, but also continue to hide. And I don't want to say anything bad about my last partner because she was amazing. And I learned so much from that relationship. But just objectively speaking, she was in a very bad place in her life. She had no career. She was unemployed. She was moving in between apartments. She didn't have a lot of friends. Um, so she was kind of like ripe for the picking for me to just jump into something and maintain control and be able to hide and so and be able to blame. And so I, I just I learned so much about myself and about also I didn't even mention this, like people pleasing, seeking approval of women, um, you know, not reclaiming who we really are, not being myself more. I mean, for a short book, it really, really impressed me. And so I reached out to. Uh, Dr. Glover, and he was happy to come on the show. We've become, I wouldn't say friends, but friendly. We email, we're in touch. He's a great guy. I've actually been reading, he wrote another book, which was kind of like a straight to Kindle read. Um, I think it's called Dating Essentials for Men, something like that. That's been really interesting um, to kind of continue the conversation of self-respect, not pleasing, not chasing, and I recommend it to men and women alike. And it's funny because I get a lot of controversial reactions to him and my podcast. Like he is, I think, my number two video on my YouTube channel in terms of views. And a lot of people have mixed feelings about him, but typically because they don't really give him a chance and because they project stuff onto him because he's very bold and very direct and very open. But I think what he says is really powerful and Anyway, I'm I'm sold on him. I'm a fanboy, and uh, he's he's a great guy. And his book did impact me a lot. 
Well, that's cool. I definitely recommend checking out that podcast with them. And and you kind of challenged me on something that came out of your your uh, connection with Robert Glover. I I got on a call with you. This is maybe a week or two ago, and we're talking. And I was kind of complaining about um, just some colleagues that I was working with, and I didn't feel like they. I don't remember what it was. Something kind of upset my ego a little bit, but there was also something really specific feedback that I wanted to give them, but I was kind of pussyfooting around sharing it. Like I didn't come out and say the thing that I thought they were doing wrong. And, and you were like, why don't you just say it? You know, why don't you just next time you're in a situation like that, be really clear and, and say it with, with, with sort of masculine power, like in a healthy way. And I thought about it, the cost of me not saying anything was they don't ever get the feedback. They're probably going to keep doing the same type of thing the same way. And also, I'm carrying around the burden of the resentment and the, and the, the kind of being miffed by it. And it was super helpful for me. I'm like, I do not want to do that. I remember I had a client the other day who was kind of going in one direction. And finally, I just said, can I be honest? Which is funny. I'm asking for permission to be honest with the client. Of course I can be honest. That's the whole point. But I just said something really bold. Like, this is what I think's happening. And it was so liberating to just not give into that people-pleasing, like, I don't want to say the uncomfortable thing. I don't want to give the feedback that's hard. And just to, to come out and say it. So... First of all, I actually think that can I be honest is is a great thing to say. You know, yes, in that situation, they are paying you for your advice. So you are technically required to be honest with them already. However, it's not a bad way to kind of brace them for some real directness. So there's nothing wrong with that. I think it was actually good that you said that. And I mean, don't get you you're getting me fired up about being direct and straightforward, I could talk ad nauseum about this because for say the past six months, I've gone all in on this stuff and I've had to kind of remind myself to get back to the emotions and the sensitivity and the empathy because there was so much opportunity for me. I was such a pushover and I was so indirect with people. And so I've gone down a huge rabbit hole in my journey lately, specifically with Dr. Glover, but also with other resources and programs and people that I've surrounded myself with. And it's, it's massively impacted my business in a variety of different ways, because I think one of the main reasons why we're afraid to really be direct and speak up with people is we're scared. We're scared, you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, we're all, we all want to be loved and feel belonging and we want approval from people. And, you know, it's just something innate in us is we don't want to be disliked. We don't want to cause conflict. And we're afraid that by being direct, it's going to cause that. But you also have to balance that with the, I think, much more important thing of serving people and not enabling them. And, you know, saying the hard but important thing, not in a judgmental way, not in a way to shame anyone or bring them down. But if they're paying you to make changes in their life, we got we have to be clear with them. And I've I've had clients when I think back a couple of years ago that have stopped working with me because I did not push them. And so I've learned the lesson the hard way by not holding them accountable enough. Like one great thing is if I have a group coaching program, sometimes I give homework 
and we get to the next call and people didn't do their homework. And I think I told you this, Matt. I don't know if we, you know, I mentioned this on a podcast we did or offline. Maybe I never even told you this, but when I first started working with, I love coaching. I believe in it, not only as a coach, but also receiving coaching. And when I was working with George Collins, who is, uh, he does addiction coaching, uh, he assigned me homework, a lot of homework. And one week went by where I didn't do any of it. And he said, hey, uh, I didn't see your emails come through with the homework. And I said, oh yeah, I've been busy. And he just said to me, his company's called Compulsion Solutions. He said, we don't do busy at Compulsion Solutions. And I felt like someone kind of like pinched me or stabbed me. Like it, that hit me when he said that. It kind of stung. And But it woke me up and I started doing my homework again. So I, I, I love that, that you've been doing that, Matt. And we, we have to make sure we balance it with compassion and empathy and, and safety. But if we don't push people and if we're not direct with them in all of our relationships, I think people start to feel control over us and we become pushovers and we start to miss out on what we want in life. Boy, that's a great way to end and, and a great point. I, uh, I'm going to start practicing that. We don't do busy at Dauber Co. <laughs> we don't do busy at Burns International. Come on. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, hey, Brendan, it's been great to connect again and, and, uh, Definitely stay safe, wash your hands, um, support your local sushi maker who's still, still, <laughs> still is uh, doing to-go orders. If, yeah, if I can find one, they're both of the guys across the street from me are closed, but I'll, uh, I'll look out for a new one and let you know what I find. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Lastly, if you're looking to take your personal life, business, or career to the next level and you want access to me as well as my community of like-minded people, head over to courses.brendanhburns.com and join us in Mastery Academy, my membership site that comes with online course content as well as live coaching calls every two weeks hosted by me personally. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.